Well, hello, welcome along to um, the Sporting Lives Grand National 2021 preview podcast with myself, Jonathan Deutsch, and my special guest, um, a man who's been five times Racing Post NAPS champion, uh, more style of the Daily Star Sunday, and of course also works for CNN. Um, and this is Paul Jacobs. Uh, Paul, I, I feel like deja vu somehow, but welcome along. It's great to be with you, Jonathan, and, and for the the greatest race in the world, and many people would say the greatest sporting event on an annual basis anywhere on this planet, and obviously is very close to my heart, originally coming uh, from Liverpool. Whenever I go back there and I sort of get to the boundaries of Liverpool, you get sort of that tingle for the meeting of, Grand, of the Grand National on sort of the Wednesday night, going all the way through to Saturday. But the Grand National itself, Jonathan, is, is just something very, very special to me, and uh, it's more than just a betting race. Um, it's an experience. It, it is. It's just something a little bit different. Captured my imagination as a child with the Red Rum Crisp race. I've got to say, actually, that um, I used to live at the bottom of a cul-de-sac and we used to build our own race course, dig the ditches. Um, I can remember somebody, because it was the end of a cul-de-sac, people used it as a dumping ground quite often. And somebody brought a lot of conifers one year. So we actually created our own Grand National fences, but obviously oh, brilliant. had human bases around it. <laughs> Um, so that is class. that's you know just as a child the sort of thing that uh, that me and my brothers used to get up with uh, up to locally in Leeds and it well we've both got some great stories I'm sure from our um, from our love of the Grand National that might come out while we uh, we chat about the runners um, incidentally folks thank you for joining us thank you for watching um, we've been asked to do this by uh, Phil Evans of the North and Midlands Racing Club and for a very good cause. So if you could uh, find yourselves the um, Just Giving page for the North and Midlands Racing Club, uh, then um, we will be supporting the Injured Jockeys Fund. And who knows, we hope there won't be, but there may be somebody who benefits directly from this uh, this coming weekend. And we know of so many stories uh, that the Injured Jockeys Fund has done great things with. So please do give generously. Um, and hopefully we'll make you a profit from this um, that you can stick a few quid more in as well afterwards. Who knows? Um, let's crack on then from the very top for the 2021 Grand National. Um, now, you'll be able to tell me, Paul, because I know you're on the button with your um, research, exactly who's going to go and who's not. So forgive me, folks, if I mention a runner that you might already know is swerving the race. Sam Tini could be a case in point. He's top of the weights, but probably not going to run. Yeah, I think they're still trying to find out what went wrong in the in the Gold Cup, which, of course, the previous year they finished second in. I've got a feeling that this will be his main aim uh, this time next year. He's built for a Gold Cup. Uh, good jumper uh, will stay all day long. So I think maybe if we do this again in 12 months' time, Jonathan, we'll be speaking about Santini then. We will speak um, quite confidently about uh, a starter in Bristol, Demai, who's number two on the card, but probably going to carry then, uh, or will carry outright top weight of 11 stone 10 uh, on the day. Um, if the National was at Haydock and in the mud in November, uh, he'd be a pretty short price. He's around about 28. Is that uh, representing a bit of value, Paul, perhaps? Well, it is becoming because he's drifted a little bit in the, in the last week or so. I mean, if this was at Haydock in, in deep ground over the park fences, he, I don't think he'd be any bigger than 12 to 1. And he's £2 well in because of the compressed weights as well. You love the way about, he goes about his business. He still has that great enthusiasm despite a lot of hard races. Um, two things I have on the negative side, all his biggest wins have come in small fields where he is dominated. It's going to be hard for him to dominate here on quicker ground. I have no qualms about him staying at four and a quarter miles, but 
I just feel below them in the weights there's more progressive horses who we don't know how good they are. They're hiding their real talent under a bushel, whereas we know everything about Bristol Demai. Yeah, it's all uh, for everyone to see. Could see him running a really big race without quite being good enough to win under that, uh, that crushing burden. I think Sonny Bay, uh, a case in point of a horse who, who ran fantastically well. I backed him that day when Lord Galeen beat him. Uh, I think I backed him when Earth Summit beat him as well. <laughs> That's heartbreaking, isn't it? And, and, you know, people say that weight makes no difference to horses. It's been proven that it does. And you can be the most strapping of horses. And, and, and Sonny Bay was, was an even bigger horse than Bristol Demai is. And um, he was absolutely countering going over the Melling Road. Uh, and then it's just the weight just told, or, 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 or I suppose more specifically, Jonathan, the weight differential told. And, you know, that, that, that's the problem with carrying a welterweight. Although horses um, carrying big weights in the Grand National have a, have a really good record. Yeah, there ain't too many that, that, that actually win, or certainly in modern history, which is mm. why I, always, I often think, you know, poor old Red Rum. We always talk about 73 because he was the villain and nicked the race off Chris, and 77, which we've never seen anything like it and possibly mm. never will again. But 74, surely his greatest performance under top weight to win that race. And it kind of gets dismissed because it was the middle of the three. Uh, great, great performance, wasn't it? Yeah, when he was placed as well. And it puts into perspective about Tiger Roll and his crybaby owners who, once again, uh, this week have put out a, just an unbelievable quote saying, oh, we'll have to wait until he's 17 before he comes down the weights. And kind of aware, I think that brings racing in a way into disrepute. And I've been really surprised that the media, the press, online, on TV, on radio, haven't come down harder on the O'Leary's who have this impression that the Grand National and Tiger role is that, well, it's my ball, you can't play with it. And I think, quite frankly, it's pathetic. And I don't, I don't, you know, criticism for the sake of criticism's sake, I don't think is worthy. But when it's constructive criticism, I think it's there to be handed out. And I just don't think we've, we've almost like ignored them like that they're being so sycophantic and stupid. But I think, I think more should be said about this, to be honest with you, but uh, uh, certain people aren't prepared to put their necks on the line, which is a shame for the good of racing. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I wholeheartedly agree. I've had this conversation you know, in private a few times and I can't believe that you get to, to, to the stage where you've got a horse who wins two Grand Nationals and you don't just... But yeah, if he's, if he's not right, if he's not well, whatever, all the rest of it, horse welfare comes first. But you know, he's just gone and won a race. He's in prime condition again, apparently, coming into this. He should be running. Um, look, when you look back in history in 25 years' time and they, they look at Tiger Roll won two Grand Nationals, you know, and your grandchildren are saying to you, did, you know, did he run in a third one? And you'll be going, well, no, there's this really ridiculous story that you know, his owners wouldn't let him run because, and he ran in the bowl, which, yeah, it's a good race to win, but come on, it's not the Grand National. Um, let's move on um, because we could probably discuss that one for quite some time. The Storyteller is number three on the card. It's about 25 to one. Is a grade one chase winner in Ireland uh, back at Down Royal, of course, in October. Second in the Irish Gold Cup to Kenboy. He's got some classy form. He hasn't yet raced over anything like this trip, so we'll have stamina to prove. Um, conditions might be just about right for him. What do you think about the Storyteller? I think he's a superstar over fences and over hurdles. Great versatility, race to the highest level. I actually think he's been crying out for a, a stiffer test of stamina. I think he's shown it in many of his races over three miles, extended three miles. And I think his last run, his last two runs over 
uh, hurdles principally, uh, second in the attempts last year, but his Stales hurdle run was, was a cracker where uh, in a race where Florian Porter basically dictated and I thought he was flattered to win, they went to stop-start pace um, and he was the one that was, I suppose, most compromised by that slack-moderate pace and uh, the winner quickened away coming off the, the home turn. But he stayed on really strongly and if it wasn't for his mark of 165, which is, that's a tough one, um, I, I will actually consider very strongly putting him in my top four, five or six. I think he's just got that little bit of class and I think he'll improve for the step up in trip. I'm not saying he can't win. I'm just, I just think he's maybe got three or four pounds too much. Yeah, uh, I can't disagree. Um, Chris's dream, 11 stone seven. He's got on his back. He's about 40s. He's got a, a decent strike rate, four from 11 over fences and a couple mm. of grade two wins to his name. For me, though, massive stamina concerns. He's been pretty well held in all um, of his three starts beyond three miles and pulled up um, in the Ryanair last time, of course, as well. And his zenith year was 2019-20 when he won the Troy Town and the, the Red Mills chase. And he is a classy sort, but he's, apart from the, the stamina problems, he's also prone to mistakes. And I couldn't have him on side, Jonathan. Um, Yala Enki is number five. Oh, I'll tell you what, we, we love jump racing because of characters like Yala Enki who just keep going and going and going. And in these marathon chases, he's pretty much always there or thereabouts. He tends to need um, a pretty deep ground to show his best form. He's eight from 33 over fences. You know, you, you can't say he ain't going to get round because um, he jumps pretty well and he'll probably be somewhere up there in the van. Has he quite got the pace to win a Grand National over four miles and two furlongs if the ground isn't deep? Well, he's one of the horses that he acts better on heavy ground than most other horses. So rather than it being a big plus for him, it's, it's, it's a minus for the re remainder of the field. So he handles it. Many horses don't, which is why um, he's got such a good record in it. Himself, uh, Kimberlite Candy, Lord de Mesnil, those are the three horses that would love a bog. Bristol Domai wouldn't mind it, but off his big ways, obviously, that compromises his chances. But those are the three real, what you call, sluggers in the field. He likes to race promptly, which is maybe another slight problem. There's a lot of horses here that like to go forward. Um, and as game as he is, forget about his uh, fall in the first at the Beecher Chase in November because the, the, the fence just came too quickly. He's altogether a very sound jumper. Um, I just think he won't dominate here and he likes to on ground that's quicker than ideal. Um, and I'd love to see him jump from fence to fence in the first two or three with that, uh, uh, throughout because I think he will, he will quite obviously stay, stay the trip very strongly. But again, I'm looking further down the handicap all the time. I'm, I'm trying to weigh up, relatively speaking, is he well handicapped? Well, no, he's not. He's probably one of the poorest handicapped horses in the race. Uh, is he a natural for the Grand National? He's shown he's a national horse by his runs in the Welsh National. I just think there's better value alternatives, and I think the handicapper has got him. Yeah, he could probably run to his ability and still finish 10th yes. and run, having run a great race you know, on, on conditions that are not ideal. Um, so, uh, you know, we hope he has a good run. Yala Enki and a grand old favourite. Bally Optic uh, might also tick the box of the grand old favourite of uh, National Hunt Racing found His best days, arguably, behind him. He's a former Charlie Hall chase winner. Uh, fell four out in the 29 national, 2019 National one by Tiger Row. Uh, we know he stays well, but he's been well held uh, throughout this season. Um, I can't see it, can you? 
Not really. I mean, he was going really well in that 2019 national, and the twister had identified him as a national horse when he was a novice hurdler. That's how far ahead he looks. I mean, he loves winning this race. Um, and had he had stood up, would he have won? Well, we, we don't know. It's probably a wee bit too far out. But you're right. He, he's run like a drain recently. He's been beaten 98 lengths in his last three starts, and the handicapper has hardly relented. So his chance is there for all to see. It's not a great chance, to be honest with you. No. Number seven, a horse I backed in a previous national, I think it was 2017, yeah, it was, when um, one for Arthur won, and he was one of the leading lights um, in the market that year. Uh, uh, definitely red, definitely not this time around for me. How about you? Yeah, neither for me. I think his best days are gone. His performances this season have been very, very moderate. And the shadow of the former definitely red, who's always been the apple of uh, Brian Ellison's eye, uh, fourth in the 2019 Beecher Chase, but it's been downhill since. And again, uh, he would be a big, big surprise, even if he got in the first 10, I would have thought. Uh, he's had success, um, of course, in the many clouds chase, as has the next horse we're going to talk about later, you lad, 40 to 1. He carries um, 11 stone, which is uh, not an impossible task, as we've seen in recent Grand Nationals, classier sorts of winning this race. He's been off the boil in his last couple. Uh, not always the, the cleanest of jumpers either and would probably want it bottomless to have his best chance. Again, he could run a, a reasonably good race, but finish sort of 10th uh, as far as I'm concerned. Won't be carrying my money. Will he be carrying any Paul Jacobs, Dosh? No, he won't. And he's sort of in that slogger's brigade, isn't he, as well, that we mentioned before, Lakeview Lab, with a bit more, bit more class. Uh, he's run really well in several long-distance top-class handicap chases. Uh, especially at the Chelmer Festival, I think it was the Ultima three years ago where he stayed on from a long way back uh, to be placed. Uh, I think he's too high in the weights and he does clout the odd fence and it's not just an irregular thing that happens, it happens every time he runs, which, is, which was a plus for him when in the many clouds chase they took out the line of fences in the home straight and he just basically tore the heart out of, heart out of Santini. Uh, but there will be fences all the way around here and that is the problem with Lake Bulad. Yeah, and uh, Nick Alexander on the record um, after one of his previous runs saying that he'd prefer a softer surface than what was described that day officially as good to soft, soft in places. So you can tell Saturday, if they're aiming for good to soft ground, might still be a bit on the quick side. Absolutely, absolutely. Won't be on the quick side for Burroughs Saint, a former Irish Grand National winner from 2019. He'd like it to be lovely, uh, good, fresh spring ground. He's a classic performer. Um, if if it does dry out in that last 24 hours, um, that's going to increase his chances. But I think his chances are reasonably good anyway, although we're going left-handed, of course, at entry. Um, he won the Irish Grand National going the other way around. Yeah, and there's two points to be made when we come to Borough St. Jonathan. That, first of all, is uh, a key race when looking at this, is the Bobby Joe chase when he was second to Acapella Bourgeois. And secondly, the watering uh, of the Grand National uh, meeting. Uh, we're never going to see a fast Grand National ever again because we we are so concerned about the PR for, for the sport. And in a way, you can understand that. But it compromises the chances of horses that want good ground or even quicker. And Woody Mullins has said all along that Burroughs Saint, um, the biggest factor with him is, is not maybe his weight, is is not maybe the form he's in. Is he is so ground dependent, and he would be one of the horses that wouldn't mind it even faster than genuinely good. Now, of course, they're going to water, 
And sometimes you find on the Thursday, Friday and the Saturday, Jonathan, of the national meeting, we get real spring temperatures, you know, 15, 16, 17 degrees. It's not going to be the same this year. It's going to be 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 at the tops. So the ground won't dry out as much as we thought it would do after watering. I think that hugely compromises his chances. I don't think he's particularly well handicapped as well. Um, and uh, although Woody's going to have him absolutely spot on, we know he's a maestro of his trade. Um, of those horses right at the top end of the betting, he's the one I'm, I'm quite easily going to overlook compared to the remainder. No, Burroughs Saint then. Uh, what about Magic of Light, second behind Tiger Roll in 2019? Five from 18 over fences. Uh, Jesse Harrington, you've got to love Jesse Harrington. I think um, she is right up there with the best trainers uh, of a very good bunch over in Ireland when she gets the right sort of ammunition. And this is a, a likeable mare, and you just get the impression it's been all about this day on Saturday. Could you see her going one better? Well, you could see her running a big race, and she's a magnificent beast. Um, she looks more like um, a colt than a, than a mare. Uh, plenty of substance about her physically. And we all remember, of course, the second to Tiger Roll in 2019. If you have a look at that video again, and, you know, I, I press you to do so, she fiddled her way around. How she actually stood up, I, I don't know. She must have made eight or nine minor mistakes, and then, of course, she clouted the last. But she managed to find a leg on each occasion. I believe had she had got a lead into the final fence and jumped it, I, I thought she would have outstayed Tiger Roll. I've had a, an argument with several um, very good punters and pundits about this. Uh, but I think she wouldn't have won that race. I think she would have outstayed Tiger Roll. The difference between her and Tiger Roll is... Tiger Roll was a brilliant, efficient jumper of the fence, got from one side to the other as quick as he could brush through the birch, and he had a, a higher cruising speed than Magic of Light. Uh, and the other thing is she's five pounds higher here, and I think her time may well have gone. Wouldn't surprise me if she hits the frame, um, but I wouldn't have her for a win bet. Okay. Um, number 11, a cappella bourgeois, around about 33s and carries 10-12 for the great W.P. Mullins. Uh, five from 19 over fences. Uh, Conditions-wise, he's won on soft and heavy ground, but he has got a, a tick of a good ground win against his name as well. Uh, the Bobby Joe Chase comes up again in his form figures. Um, he was third in the 2019 Irish National behind his stable companion, Burroughs Saint. You could argue that he might be a little better going right-handed, but he has won mm. twice at left-handed Navan. He's got a nice racing weight. I like Acapella Bourgeois. I think at the price, he represents a bit of value. What say you, Paul Jacobs? Yeah, but you know, you know, Jonathan, as well as I do, and everybody listening to this will, will be au fait with this, that the bookmakers try and squeeze the price out of every horse seven or eight, nine, ten days before the race. Uh, and this is one of the few horses that remains, I think, a value price at around about 33 to 1, that we're in the Bobby Joe as a cracker. Uh, as you say, five from 19 over fences. And he's got... He's very likely to race for a horse of his age. I think he's got a touch of class as well. Uh, and I, I also think he'll be suited by this thorough test of stammer. I haven't actually got him in my top four, but he'd be one of those slightly left to centre outsiders that I, I couldn't put you off. I think he's got a really good chance. Yep. Um, a bit of value about Acapella Bourgeois. Talk is cheap. Um, <laughs> hopefully not. As far as our tips are concerned, at the end of this one is the number 12 on the card, 66 to 1, trained by Alan King and, of course, a former winner of the Stamina Sapping um, Bet 365, the former Whitbread Gold Cup back in 2019. Incidentally, April the 7th, as we record this, 
April the 7th, 1975, winner of the Whitbread, uh, which I was just watching a little bit earlier on this morning, actually, the, the last couple of fences. Um, overcame crisp that day, uh, another red rum um, and grand national story interwoven, but back with talk is cheap. CV suggests he's a bit on the fragile side. Has he got too much to prove for a race of this magnitude? Well, Alan King has been tearing his hair out about this horse because he was so dominant in that race at Sandown in 2019. And he's just shown precious little since, although he works well at home. You can forget his run at Kempton in the old, well, I, I still call the racing post chase, but it isn't now, of course. And it's the Betway, isn't it? But um, Kempton would never be his track, flat, sharp, turning. Uh, and he's better suited by this, this bigger gallop. And it could well pep him up. But the, the bottom line is he looks out of sorts and he's still £10 higher than for that win at Sandown, and that, that totally puts me off. Number 13, will it be lucky for supporters of 2A Permi, who's about 80 to 1, Noel Mead trains, hasn't won since a grade two at Thurlis back in January of 2019, some 15 starts ago. Uh, some respectable efforts, though, in between, including his uh, races against the storyteller earlier in the season, but is this tilting at windmills? I love Noel Mead. I think he's one of the unsung heroes in Irish racing. He doesn't have the biggest of yards, got a great setup. I visited him about three or four years ago. Uh, but he's, I think he is tilting at windmills here with 2 per me. And uh, the other uh, sort of question mark against him is he, he burst a blood vessel last time out and he was a beaten favourite. And I don't think he's well handicapped at all. So I can, for me, I can easily bypass him. OK. Annabelle fly number 14 is 40-ish to one. Tony Martin, of course, trains. Uh, we know what he can do with, in terms of uh, getting horses well handicapped, but I'm not sure you could yeah. say that about Annabelle Fly. He hasn't won since December 2017. It's all out there, isn't it, really? He's been fourth and fifth in the, the 18 and 19 nationals, respectively, second in a goal, but we know he's got a touch of class about him. Um, uh, has his best chance gone? Well, you could say, along with Cloth Cap, he's probably the best handicapped horse in the race, but that's based on form from a couple of years ago, fourth and fifth, as you say, in two nationals, off marks of 159 and 164, sandwiched by cracking running on second to Al Boom Photo when he came from miles back in the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Uh, but in five runs since, he's been beaten an aggregate of 241 lengths. Last of five, and aforementioned Bobby Joe Chase, which will keep on cropping up as we go through the runners. You know, it could well light him up again, Aintree. Um, but even though he was fourth and fifth in those two nationals, he never, ever looked like winning. Um, and many will see him possibly as a value outsider. Uh, but I've, I'm going to turn him over. I think his best days are well behind him. It's a right old malarkey, this Grand National thing, isn't it? Mr. Malarkey. <laughs> Number 15 is 50 to 1, trained by um, the talented Colin Tizard. Five from 16. He won last year's Betway, or as you and I probably prefer to still refer to it as the Racing Post Chase at Kempton. Sorry, Betway. Uh, won that off a mark of 147. He's yet to win beyond that trip of, of a flat uh, three miles. It's a flat track at Aintree, so we've got a little bit of a direct comparison. He isn't ground dependent, um, and he finished. Four lengths third in the same race this year, off a mark of 155 for a career best performance. He's got his stamina to prove, uh, but he arrives in decent form and at a working man's price. Yeah, I mean, Collins had a strange old year, started off very, very slowly. Then a couple of weeks before Cheltenham, it looked like his horses are running into form. 
put the big breakaway around a cracking race and the staying novice event. And but things haven't really kicked on since then, and it's still very, very patchy. One race, I think, oh yeah, Mr. Malarkey looks a real Grand National sort. And then the next race, he does something so bad that I think, oh, a nightmare, this horse. Um, of course, he got rid of his rider in the uh, Labrooks Trophy at Newbury, which should have been a race that would suit him on good ground, but we never got to find out. Um, he's a very good chaser, staying chaser on his day. Off 147 and 150, he's had victories in the past uh, 12 months. I think it's tough off 155. He's the type of horse, though, could take to the fences. I actually think he wants, wants good ground, but I, again, I think there are plenty of better treated horses than him. Okay. Uh, you mentioned Kimberlite Candy a couple of times. Uh, let's talk yeah. about him in a bit more detail. He's, he's one of the, the leading fancies, really, at uh, around about 14 to 1, trained by another talented uh, man in Tom Lacey. Four from 16, he's over fences. And second a couple of times in the Beecher over the last couple of seasons. We know he stays 3-5, um, having won the Classic at Warwick. Uh, for me, not sure beyond four miles, um, but he does tick quite a few boxes. Yeah, he does. And, and what we do know is he'll handle the fences. When people come to me and say, oh, it doesn't matter about the fences. It's just like an ordinary long distance park race. They're talking a load of baloney because the makeup of these fences are very different to any park fence because of that layer of spruce they have on the top. And if you have a strong horse that can go through the spruce uh, and not have a problem with that, it's a big plus. And he's shown that he's, well, he's eaten these fences for fun, hasn't he, when second in the Beecher chase off 137 and then stepped that up when second off 153. I think he obviously, obviously would prefer more given the ground. I think he's a, he's a player who have one five three. If he doesn't get too far behind early doors, and there's every reason to believe that he will stay, Jonathan, this stamina sapping trip. I wouldn't put anybody off him, but I think they need to vastly overwater and needs to be the odd heavy shower for him to be involved. I know he's been the long range tipser of many punters and pundits alike, but again, I think there's there's better horses with better credentials than him, but. You would expect he's going to, at the very least, complete the course. Number seventeen, beware the bear. We don't think he's going to take part. No, I think he, I, I think Nicky's going to send him to the Scottish National now. So uh, he he he's been a moody horse this season when he got himself tailed off at Ascot. I wouldn't. I don't think he's a national horse because he tends to get behind in his race. He's winner of the Ultima Handicap Chase a few years ago at Cheltenham, but I got a feeling he's either going to go to um, air or he's going to go to Sandown. Okay. And how about uh, his stable companion, number 18, Pim, who's around about 66s. He's only raced eight times over fences and won three of them. Got a confidence-boosting listed win at Sandown back in November. For me, he's looked exposed, really, in his last couple of starts. Um, the latest behind vintage clouds in the Ultima. And he's yet to yeah, you probably right. You raced a bit free that day, I think, Jonathan. Uh, the one thing in his favour is he does want good ground. I thought he was a really good novice, and he didn't didn't really kick on. But there are question marks to answer, and I I, I think there's a big big one about him getting home here. Okay, any second now? Ten stone one. Uh, sorry, uh, yes, ten to one. I should say ten stone nine is what he's um, got on his back. Uh, trained by Ted Walsh with um, uh, you know a winning record in the race. Uh, three from 18 over fences and a former Kim Muir winner under Derek O'Connor. 3-2, of course, uh, much stiffer. Uh, Cheltenham before he fell in Burroughs Saints Irish National next time. Now, the interesting thing here is his last two chase wins have been over 
two miles, would you believe, coming into a four-mile two-furlong contest in, in grade three and grade two company. Um, he certainly is improving in terms of his uh, career-best uh, racing post ratings. Uh, that latest one is 160. Um, that latest win, though, in a five-runner field at Navan, uh, prompted Ted Walsh afterwards to tell the stewards that he'd improved from his previous run in the Thiestes when he was pulled up in an 18-runner field due to a small field. So he's stepping up from two miles to four and a quarter, from four opponents to 39. I'm really going to look forward to uh, what Ted has to say to the stewards after he sluices up in the Grand National on Saturday. Well, I don't suppose Ted will care, to be honest with you. He probably put two fingers up at you, Jonathan, and to everybody else, uh, as long as they weighed in. I mean, he's a really versatile chaser uh, from two miles upwards. And to be fair, he looks as though this trip would be within his compass when he won that Kim Muir off, off one four three. 3 uh, Interesting when he won that grade two Webster chase. And he jumped beautifully that day. And he's obviously got an engine inside. I think the price has gone on him. If you're thinking backing him now, uh, even though very confident sounds coming out of the, the Walsh camp, uh, he, he wouldn't be for me. I, I suppose the other positives are he's got a lovely, lovely racing weight. Uh, he can put, put anywhere in a race. He can race as a presser, midfield, hold-up horse. So he's very, very versatile. And there'll be many people who say, you know what, of those in the top four or five in the betting, he's, he's the one for me. Um, will he stay four and a quarter miles? Well, that Kim Muir run gives him every chance of doing so. And he looks fairly solid. The very fact that Ted Walsh has been outspoken about his chances, I suppose, is a plus. Well, we'll find out Saturday. Um, nearly at the halfway stage. Then number 20 is Balco de Flo, trained by Henry de Bromhead, who's a little bit cool in terms of uh, the hot and cold trainers list at the minute. Um, mm -hmm. Things just ain't been dropping right since Cheltenham, really. Three from 24 over fences for Balco de Flo, including a festival win, of course, to Ryanair when he upset under so back in uh, 2018. He's also a Galway plate winner as well. Um, not in the greatest of uh, form in recent times. The National a tough race to pick for him to try and prove that he can stay this far. Uh, doubtful stayer on all no form? Absolutely doubtful stayer. Stable have fallen over a cliff since their remarkable Cheltenham. And of course, he won the Ryanair off uh, when he was rated 166. Of course, it wasn't a handicap mark, but he was rated 166. Hasn't threatened in 13 runs since, Jonathan. He's dropped to 152, but there are so many question marks, both against the horse and the yard as well. Okay. Um, just a reminder, folks, as we're about the halfway stage, you are watching Sporting Live's Grand National 2021 preview podcast with Paul Jacobs and myself, Jonathan Deutsch. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you get plenty out of this as far as your bets for Saturday are concerned. And we hope you'll also, um, on our behalf, donate as well. Uh, we're trying to raise funds for the Injured Jockeys Fund in association with the North and Midlands Racing Club. So please do head to the North and Midlands Racing Club Just Giving page uh, and make a donation towards the Injured Jockeys Fund. And then if we do manage to come up and contrive the Grand National winner between us or, or any sort of uh, return of profit for you, then pop back, of course, on Saturday evening and stick a bit more in as well. How about that for cheek? Um, right, uh, <laughs> second half of the contest then. Number 21 is uh, Alpha Days Obo. Uh, we'll ask an alpha male for his thoughts on the chances of this at Denise Foster train runner. Yeah, I really like his chances. I think he's one of the more, the darker horses that, that could 
very readily pop up. He's an intriguing runner. He was running on third in the in the 2019 beat drop for 159. And uh, if you know back to the 2018 national, he was absolutely cantering. And it was very early doors when he departed at the chair. Uh, and plenty of his best form, if you look back through his career, has come on spring ground, despite the fact that when he was a staying novice hurdler, it looked like this, I mean, he's a massive, big, robust horse. He wanted real dig in the ground because he seemed to deal with it then. But since then, I think he wants good ground. He tends to jump out of good ground better. And he cemented that view with his running on third behind Tiger Roll in the country at Cheltenham, which I think many people have cast aside. So he's down to one five two. Yeah, he's a bit quirky. There's no doubt about it. Um, but he, he slightly reminds me, and we've had many quirky winners of the Grand National, as you know, John. He slightly reminds me of the 2016 winner, Rule the World. And I think if he, he gets to the stage where he's in that group, and we always tend to have a group of eight to ten horses as we go over the one after Valentine's and hit the Melling Road, uh, that eight to ten all of a sudden thins out very quickly as they approach the second last as stamina starts to kick in. I think if he's in that group of eight to ten, um, he will get home. There's no doubt about it. And uh, I, I think he's one of the better outsiders in this race. You heard it here first. Um, 22 then is Brahma Bull, uh, who's a 40 to one chance. Ten still. Yeah, he won't go. Yeah, he he definitely won't go. I'm going to jump in there because he, he ran in the Irish National he ran well to a point, but he was very, very keen. I think I, I, if he runs here, I'll be, I'll be very doubtful. I think he'll probably go for the staying handicap chase at the, at the Punchestown Festival, I would think. OK, we'll put a line through Brahma Bolt. 23, yep. OK, Corral, Nicky Henderson. Yeah, it'd be really difficult to keep sound. I mean, he's got undoubted ability, this horse, as we saw when he won the Skybet chase off 146 last year. And he won it really well, didn't he? Um, really fired home at the long Doncaster stretch. Jumps well. If he settles, you can see him popping away fence to fence. But he's five pound higher, and Nicky Henderson has just about the worst record of any trainer in a Grand National, which is amazing because he's got a really good record in the in the in the what we call the Topham Chase, hasn't he? But I think this is a deep national, and he think he, he needs to have plenty of luck on his side. Uh, ground's not a problem for him. I don't believe trip will be a problem, and he's fairly likely to race for a horse of his age. And many people will see him as a viable outsider, but he's not for me. Okay, one who has uh, a decent national pedigree is Nicky Richards, of course, uh, Father Gordon training at Lucius. And my first winning Grand National bet, Hallo Dandy, to win in 78 and 84, respectively. Uh, his <laughs> ride on, on, on Rhinus as well when he was placed, wasn't he? Once or so, yeah. only once, possibly twice. Um, taking risks is the one, uh, the runner in question here, number 24. Uh, Scottish national winner, of course, of 2019 from a mark of 135. Um, but comes into this uh, at his ripe old age of 12 off the back of a career best with that Skybet chase win. I've got to say, I, I like him, especially on, on this spring ground. I could see him running a really big race. May not necessarily be good enough to win at this age, but I think he'll be there or thereabouts with a clear round. And there's many that will agree with you, Jonathan, because here's a horse, again, if I use the analogy of what happens after the Melling Road, if he's in that, that group of runners that has a chance, you know one thing, he is going to get home. He is going to stay every millimetre of the trip. And at the age of 12, he seems to be progressing, which seems a ridiculous thing to say. But winning that Skybet chase off one point, uh, one four six, he just grounded out, didn't he? He just kept on galloping as, he may have been flattered somewhat because I think he had 
two or three non-stayers who went backwards as he went forwards, he quite obviously requires another career best to win this. But you could easily see him being in the first six or eight. And so when you look around at the different bookmakers offering odds and have a look at those that are offering the best uh, place uh, numbers, and, and there will be a couple of bookmakers that go 10 places in the national. And uh, so if you fancy taking risks, you need to have an each way bet uh, with those particular layers. Number 25, Shattered Love, around about 50s, 10 stone 7. And Denise Foster now has care of this one. 7 from 23 over fences, and he won the 2018 JLT at the Cheltenham Festival over two and a half miles or so. Has won over three miles in grade one company um, as a novice at uh, Leopardstown. And, and her latest run was a very good effort to be third behind Cole Reavy in the grade two mares chase at Cheltenham. For me, though, Stamina is a massive concern. Yeah, and I agree with you. I mean, she ran well over two and a half. Two and a half is too short. Four could be too far. I think her optimum trip is three miles. Uh, and all the best form is in small fields as well. So I've passed her over quite readily. Um, okay, number 26, uh, Jet for Jesse Harrington. Four from 32 over fences. Um, fourth behind Delta work in the Irish Gold Cup, but way short of that level since. Yeah, and he's been dropped into handicap company to try and enable him to find a spark again by Jesse. Uh, but he's been beaten in aggregate of 88 lengths on his last two starts over fences and hurdles. Uh, and I, don't, I think he's a blatant non-stayer as well. Um, line through Jet then. It's looking black for that one. Uh, the Jam Man. Uh, we don't think he's going to go. So no. let's move on to 28. Um, Lord Dumainil, who... I like, I have to say, Richard Hobson trains, and we're talking about talented trainers, and they don't have to train thousands of winners to have talent. Richard Hobson would be a case in point. Uh, he can certainly do the job with the right ammo. Now, Lord Dubainil was aimed at the race last year, but of course, the race wasn't run. I think that could be a blessing in disguise with another year on his back. He's an absolutely nailed-on, proven stayer. Yeah. I know what you're going to tell me about the ground, and I think, yes, it would enhance his chances if it were deep. Um, but I still think he's a horse on the up, and, yeah, I do really like his chances for Saturday, I've got to say. Yeah, Richard Hobson's a really, really good horseman. Uh, he's one of the few of the smaller trainers. If I uh, were to have another horse again in ownership, I would, I would, I would have consider him uh, very strongly. And he's campaigned, Lord de Mainil, a lot different to last year um, and the year before where he had quite a few hard races in deep ground. He comes here for a light campaign. As you say, he's a Dower stair. He's a strong galloper. Uh, he likes to race prominently, which I think will be in his favour. I don't think he's short of speed, uh, despite all his best form coming on deep ground, as he showed when he won the Grand National Trial off 146. He's only three pound higher, which I think is, is fine for him. And if they do water liberally this week, which I think they will do, and, and the temperatures do stay very autumnal rather than spring-like, uh, as they normally are at entry, I think, again, he's one of the few horses at around about uh, 28.33 that you would have a chance. I can see his price getting lower as the race comes along uh, because this has been his sole aim, whereas there are two or three of those higher up in the, in the betting, Jonathan, where this is very much been an afterthought, but this has always been the aim for Lord Dumainil, and I wouldn't put anybody off him each way. Yeah, those dastardly bookies. I can see him going off rather than 40s, more like 20s, something like that. Yeah. On the day. 
just a, li a little bit of support for him and we'll just start to slash him and we'll make it look like everybody's keen. And, yeah, we'll get away with 20s there. Uh, but I, I do really like him, I've got to say. So 29 uh, is Potter's Corner, trained by Christian Williams, of course, winner of the, the virtual Grand National of 2020. He's won a, a couple of nationals himself as well, a Welsh one and a Midlands one. One of the few in the field um, who you can say is a nailed on certainty to see out the trip. Uh, again, he's another one who prefer it to be softer, but he has got a bit of form, a bit of previous on, on better ground. Thoughts on Potter's Corner? I think he's gone. I think he's gone at the game. Uh, he won the Welsh National 2019 off 138. He's shown absolutely nothing in three outings since over hurdles and fences. And the problem on top of that um, is that he's still £11 higher than for that Chepstow success. I can't even consider him at all. Line through Potter's corner. Ruthless, the ruthless Paul Jacobs. Um, move on to number 30 then. <laughs> uh, Class Conti for, for Willie Mullins, two from 14 of offences. Um, for me, yeah, I wouldn't be too surprised if he's still in that group of maybe 10 or a dozen or whatever you were talking about as they come towards the Melling Road second time around. Yeah, I think he actually has been crying out for better ground. Most of his best form uh, has been given the ground, but that's because he's campaigned in Ireland and he very rarely gets spring ground there until you get to Punchestown Festival and even then you probably don't get it as well. Um, but he's not He's not won since winning in April 2019, and the handicap has been really harsh on him. He hasn't really uh, dropped him an awful lot, and I think he's the least likely of the Willie Mullins runners to be in the mix on uh, come Saturday afternoon. Okay, well we might um, agree to disagree on that one then. I think, uh, Absolutely, the next... nothing wrong in disagreeing. Absolutely, uh, an extreme test might be right up his street. Uh, Milan native, another Denise Foster train runner, uh, 33s and carrying 10-6. Won the 2020 Kim Muir. That's one of uh, two wins out of 11 starts over fences. Uh, when he jumped well on that occasion, uh, needs improvement from this mark, I think. And his only try beyond 3-2 was when he was pulled up in uh, a fairy house handicap chase over the same C&D as the Irish National. Is he going to get home? Yeah, well, big question marks about him. He's had two wind operations uh, since that win at the Cheltenham Festival. Uh, softer ground has always been his domain. And it, I, I suppose the other telltale sign, Jonathan, is he's been very weak in the market. I mean, many people when the weights came out touted him as a possible winner. But he's he's just drifted and drifted and drifted. I think he's as available as big as 40 to 1. And there are too many question marks over him now. Drifted like the Contiki. OK, the 32 is Disco Rama. Now, I know we both like to do a bit of a boogie. Um, if maybe we nominated this one to win and he did so, given that you're obviously an 80s uh, dance fanatic, just like myself. Um, but, uh, he's a 33 to 1 chance to win the Grand National in all seriousness. He's won just once from 10 starts over fences, but he's run some damn good races in defeat, not least when the Deutsch cash was on him behind Le Broil in the, the four-miler at um, the Cheltenham Festival back in 2019, when it was still a genuine four-miler. Yeah, um, he wants it deep, doesn't he? And for me, um, you know, even though he's a thorough stayer and ticks a few of the boxes, I think he's very ground dependent, and I just couldn't see him quite having the pace on good soft ground. And that national hunt chase really almost bottomed out Lebroy, who's seemingly not been the same horse since then. And you wonder whether it's the same with Discarama. The very interesting two points here is that Paul Nolan, a recent interview in the Racing Post, is very sweet on his chance. 
And he's been one of the uh, big horses that's been backed in the last, what, 48, 72 hours. And he's been back from, I think, he, about two weeks ago. He was available at 50s. He's now down to 12, 14 to 1, isn't he? I think he's maybe 16s in a place. So this is one of the bigger gambles that's gone on on the blind side. Um, being off the track for so long is not a problem. He's got a really, really good record when he's fresh. Um, that one run was at Cheltenham over three miles and three, where his rider reported he was very, very keen, and he was. He was pulling his arms out for the best part of a, a mile and a quarter. So if Paul feels he's got him spot on and Paul knows his horse back to front, then there's no doubt he will improve on that. Um, but I think this is a really good Grand National. I think there's plenty of strength in depth. Uh, and I think there'll be questions asked if he does win it. But you know what? I I don't know any more about horses than Paul Nolan does. He's the man that is closest to the horse. And uh, the fact that it has been such a big gamble on him makes you sit up and at least, at the very least, consider him. Mm, interesting. I just think he'll want it uh, to be genuinely hock-deep ground to have his best chance. 33. Uh, this one's carried my cash in the past around here. Um, and he carries uh, whatever is got on his back pretty well around the track without really ever getting home over four and a quarter miles. He is the modern day, the pill garlic, isn't he? Vieux en Rouge. Uh, he turns up every year. Um, he's a loyal servant to the Aintree cause. He's been seventh in 2016, sixth the year after, ninth in 2018, 15th in 2019. It's good to see him back. He can't win it, can he? Doubtful. I mean, you know, he, he's a horse that you think will we'll jump around again. He eats these fences for fun. Uh, and hindsight's a great thing in racing, isn't it, Jonathan? But he took advantage of a drop in the weights to win the Beecher Chase off 140. And he, he was very well handicapped. A lot of people wondering, well, does he still retain all his old ability? Does he still retain that, that love of the game? And he obviously did. But he then disappointed in the Welsh National off 144. And he's now up to 148 here. He'll jump around. He can't win, I don't think. I don't think he'll even be placed. If he's in the first dozen, I think that'll be a, a tr another tremendous run around these big fences for the old boy. Now, the jockey who's ridden him, um, certainly, probably in all of those, I've not got the records in front of me, Tom Scudamore, yeah, yeah. understandably steps off and is on the Grand National Favourite, who is next on our list to discuss, number 34, Cloth Cap. He's very short at 4-1. to one. He's carrying just the 10 stone five, trained by my all-time sporting hero in J.J. O'Neill, who had a terrible, terrible record as a pilot around Aintree, mm -hmm. um, but uh, has done rather better as a trainer. Now, Cloth Caps won four of his 11 chases. Of course, he's owned by Trevor Hemmings, and we know what great links he's got with the race as well. Uh, we know that he'll stay, or we think he will. He's done the four miles of the Scottish National. Uh, Conditions-wise, he should be fine. And he's a horse who really is on the up with that Ladbrokes Trophy win, the win at Kelso last time. He appears to be thrown in, but do handicap marks matter that much? Or is it more about other factors when it comes to winning the Grand National? I think they matter, Jonathan, but I don't think they're the be-all and end-all. We've seen many a horse that's well in totally blow out in the Grand National. And that's because the National is different to any other race. Forget about the, the fences have been modified. There are no other races in the calendar before the Grand National where you have 39 rivals, where you need the luck in running, where you don't want a horse falling in front of you or stopping in front of you, um, where you don't need a loose horse uh, making uh, inroads in your pathway, 
where you don't want to be buzzed up by other horses flying off and your horse running very, very free. So along with Annabelle Fly, yes, he probably is the best handicapped horse in the race. And I thought he was tremendous in the Labbrooks Trophy. I thought he was even better at Kelso. I mean, I'm lucky enough to be on at 16 to 1. I backed him after his Newbury victory, and I'm, I'm happy with that. But only because of my personal betting profile, I'm actually going to lay him for a place. Now, I'll tell you why. Um, I look back at not particularly the Kelso race, but the Newbury race, and then all of his previous races, both over hurdles and fences. And he's very exuberant over the first three or four. He always has been. Like, he, he loves the game and he wants to get on with it. And if ever a Grand National favourite is going to take a tumble over the first three or four, it's cloth cap. So Tom Skew's got a really big task on his hands. He's got to get him to drop the bit, although he wants him to race prominently, obviously, because his, his jumping is so superb. But if he races with the choke out too freely and he overjumps one of those first three fences, not necessarily the big ditch of the third, but the first or the second, um, I know it's a, probably a bad thing on my part to see, but I, I can see there's a chance of this happening. He could well be uh, eating the entry turf, and that's my one worry with him. So partly because I'm on him at a price, but partly because that scenario worries me, rather than lay him to win, the way to have him, and if, if anybody else is on at the price, I'm sure plenty of people are after the Newbury contest, the way to save on him, I think, is to lay him for a place which I think will be around about seven to four on the day. If he gets round, I can't see him being out the first three or four. I think he will stay, even though he has the revs out all the time. But the way he pulled away from two smart stayers over the last two fences of the Lab Book Trophy says that he will stay. And of course, we don't want them to overwater too much at Aintree, but he, he's, he's the, the genuine uh, Grand National article here. But, but there's more to him than meets the eye. Yeah, he's got to have a great chance. It's just from a value perspective, there is no value. That's yes. gone. Um, but we could quite easily be seeing him dotting up in the big race on Saturday, given that he appears to be so well handicapped. It's, it's almost too good to be true. I think he'll uh, win, and he'll be one of the most impressive winners in the Grand National for years, or something will happen, and that first stretch of fences going down towards Peachesbrook. Cabaret Queen. As opposed to Caribbean Queen. Um, <laughs> your favourite song. <laughs> uh, number 35, 66 to 1, trained by WP Mullins. We haven't seen a mare win since Nickel Coin precisely 70 years ago. She's mm. a pretty good one. She just about stays three and a quarter miles, but for me, she's got plenty to prove. Yeah, she is a really good mare, and she's raced in some really good handicaps. Good ground's not a problem for her. Uh, she's six pounds higher than for her last win. She was outpaced predictably in the mayor's chase at Cheltenham. She never really had a chance there from, from halfway. Um, but again, there are question marks about her staying. Uh, the ground is a big, big plus for her. She wants spring ground. I'm really surprised, actually, that Willie Mullins hasn't aimed her at the Scottish National. Uh, again, she's one of the more unlikely ones for me. As I presume is number 36, Minella Celebration, who's 100 to 1 shot, trained by Casey Price, 11 years of age and 7 from 26 over fences. I put it to you that if this were run over the mild May course, where uh, these form figures are 2 1 1, uh, and if it was run over three miles and a furlong, then be, the odds would be significantly shorter than 100 to 1. But uh, the facts are that it's four and a quarter miles over the national fences. Um, comes here fresh and got a good record when fresh. What do you think in terms of this? I thought, you know, I've seen worse 100 to 1 shots going into a Grand National. 
Yeah, there probably are, and there are probably worse 150, uh, 66 and 50 to 1 shots in this year's field. But the fact is, he's fallen four times in 26 runs over fences. Uh, winner off 140 in the mile May and October, runs off 148 here. And his last three runs have been bloody awful, so I couldn't have him at all. Okay, so no celebration for Minella as far as Mr. Jacobs is concerned. Number 37, Canelo, 40 to 1 ish. Uh, and I'm giving you these prices. I recorded these a day or two ago, so um, apologies if, if they've shortened or, or lengthened since. Uh, but it's around about 40s ballpark figure. 10 stone for Alan King. Uh, is, of course, responsible for him. Three from ten over fences, and he's won a Roland Merrick. Uh, grade three, of course, at Weatherby on Boxing Day. Third in the Grimthorpe to Red Infantry over three and a quarter uh, at Doncaster. For me, alarming how he weakened after the last that day, and he's got an extra mile to, to try and find stamina for on Saturday. Yeah, and after that Roland Merrick, you thought, you know, aye, aye, here's a young, improving horse, unexposed that could make up into Grand Nationals, but that form has fallen down. And yeah, I was hugely disappointed uh, with his run in the Grimthorpe off a mark of, of 147. And um, interesting to see if Kingy here tries and puts maybe blinkers or a visor on him. Cheap pieces work for him. Um, and maybe need something just to sparkle him. I know Alan thinks he is still a Grand Nationals, but he, he's now got an awful lot more to prove post-Doncaster than he did post-Weatherby for me. Um, let's have a look at the long mile then. 40s as well. Uh, 10 stone four trained by Philip Dempsey. And he's four from 11 over fences. Just seven years of age. Reported by his trainer to be an idle so-and-so. I think we've probably all had that comment about us uh, over the years at, uh, at some point. <laughs> Mum, get that vacuum cleaner out, you idle so-and-so. Um, now, the best performance of his career came when he was a wide margin winner of a two-mile, three-furlong Limerick handicap chase on heavy ground in December and he arrives after running well behind Acapella Bourgeois and the Bobby Joe back in February um, he's not related to long distance winners in particular but when you look through his pedigree I think it's a stamina laden pedigree and every chance of getting home here might be able to improve but he's got that seven year old stat against his name they don't win very often do they at that age no, no, I mean, the seven-year-old stat is, is, is a blaring one as well, but stats are there to be, to be broken up, aren't they? And we mention again, yet again, the Bobby Joe Chase, where he was held up at the back of the field and came home really strongly, with, almost with a view that that was merely a warm-up and he didn't want to be given too hard a race. I think you're right, breeding-wise, he's got a very good chance of staying. You could say his hold-up style is probably a slight negative, and most of his best efforts have been on deep ground, but that's because he's not really encountered better ground. I think he'll act on the better ground. And he's one of the more left-to-centre horses. You could see being a springer in the market on the day because he's been laid out for this. And if you're not put off by the stats of a seven-year-old, I, I wouldn't put you off him. I think he's one of the better chance outsiders here. Now, I'm going to let you into a secret, folks. My first trip to uh, Aintree back in 1985, I parked up the car, and this young lad called Jacob said, Give me a copper, mate. Give me a copper. If I wash your car for you while you're in there at the race course. Um, terrible, terrible scout impression. But uh, it gets us into number 39. Give me a copper. Forgive me, please, um, Paul. Uh, 66 to 1. Um, 11 years of age. He's only raced nine times over fences and won yeah. two of them. Trained by the genius that is Paul Nichols. If anybody can get him to do this job on this day, it's probably somebody like him. Clearly been a bit fragile, needed to be wrapped up in cotton wool. 
but still with the trainer who won the race back in 2012 with Neptune Collange. And again, if anybody's thinking about backing something at a long price to get a decent run, I could see him still being involved very late on in the contest. It got plenty of, uh, of class, this horse, and the very fact that Paul Nichols has persevered with him is interesting. By the way, that was a lovely Welsh accent there. <laughs> and he's always looked a kind of a national type to me, you know, quick over his fences, stays well, but he's been very hard to keep sound. Um, he's the type to pop around. Um, I think he'll probably stay, to be honest with you, and I think good ground is a plus with him, and racing fresh is also a plus. Has his best chance gone? I don't really know because of Paul Nichols held him in such high regard. And again, you could see he's an outsider that could outrun his price. Uh, of course, Natune Collange was knocking on when he won it. So, um, you know, all the horses and all that, he knows what to do. So, number 40, um, Farclass, 33s. He's only got the 10 stone three on his back. Again, he's got the seven-year-old stat to overcome and he's only raced seven times over fences, but won three of them. He's a former Triumph Hurdle winner. And we're going down that route, as you can probably guess, of stable companion Tiger Rose, a former Triumph Hurdle winner, going on to win two Grand Nationals himself. That was a good effort, wasn't it, behind uh, the well-handicapped the Shunter over two and a half at Cheltenham last month. Um, form and pedigree looked pretty good. For me, I've got big doubts about stamina here. I'm not sure you share those concerns. Well, he's unproven, that's for sure. So we're blowing in the wind about whether he'll stay or not. I thought he was unlucky not to win uh, at Cheltenham. He was beaten in the end uh, three lengths by the shunter. Uh, but he basically clipped heels on the home turn. He lost massive momentum. And I thought, but for that incident, he would have won off a mark of, of, of one four six. And he comes here, he races off a mark exactly the same so from a handicapping perspective I think he's very fairly fairly handicapped the furthest he has gone is two mile five and a half furlongs that was at Leopardstown in February where he stayed on okay in the closing stages behind off your go uh, without really showing that he he's been crying out for a step up in trip but you, you don't really know until a horse tries it I mean it's that old um, cliche about getting into a rhythm and jumping from fence to fence and therefore preserving your stamina. I think he's a really good jumper of a fence. I think he's a really efficient jumper of a fence. And I could see him running a big race. I want more than the 20 to 1 now about him now. I think he's more of a 33 to 1 shot. And then he's got that tag, hasn't he, Jonathan, of being a seven-year-old again. But as I say, I think those, those uh, um, facts and figures are there to be broken. And he's got a lovely racing weight of 10-3. So again, right at the bottom of the, of the weights here, I think he's fairly handicapped. Will he stay? I honestly can't say definitively yes or no. But if, if he does, he could be a dark horse that could run a massive race here. Yeah, when they talk about stamina and we're worried about a horse not getting home over four and a quarter when he's one over two and a half. Mm. Think about Red Rum, folks. Um, dead heated over five furlongs. On that day, if you'd have said this horse is going to win three Grand Nationals, I think you would have been taken away, locked up, and you would never have seen the light of day again. So <laughs> always things there, isn't there? Eighty, wasn't it, as well, over five furlongs? He ran over five furlongs, which is a ridiculous story, isn't it, really, when you think of it? So, but he was a, a ridiculously good, uh, great, in fact, um, horse. Three, yeah. Uh, so... Um, so there's always something to confound the theory is what I'm trying to say. So 41 is Minella Times. We've got to have a look at this one, even though he's below the 40 cutoff, because we know a couple are already coming out at the very least above that line. And he'll get a run, Minella Times, at 14 to 1. Uh, 10 stone 3, Henry de Bromhead mentioned earlier, but I'll say it again. 
just a little bit cool in terms of trainer form of late. Um, two out of 10 over fences. It, the cool trainer form does concern me, but otherwise, um, this not only would be an amazing story with Rachel Blackmore on board, but I think he ticks quite a few boxes apart from that recent concern over trainer form. I think that's the only negative with this horse. Although you could put on a number two on that list, the fact that he's now down to 12 to one. He's been one of the best backed horses in the race from 40s about four or five weeks ago. So those are the only two slight negatives. Um, he jumps beautifully. He's a very natural jumper. He's very slick for a horse so inexperienced over his fences. I think the step up and trip is a positive rather than a negative. Good to soft is fine for you. He's certainly well enough handicapped. We could be looking back in 12 months' time and he could be running in graded races. And you think, well, crikey, he was absolutely thrown in here. He was just ahead of far class in the, the paddy power and took another step forward off running a really good race behind. Off you go, off 140. Uh, as well, a race we've already mentioned with Falklar as well. Uh, and he shapes as if he is a definitive national horse. So as long as the form of the stable doesn't have an impact on him, I think he's, he's a massive player here with, with a clear round. I just think his, his price is gone. Although if anybody had said to you, Jonathan, right, I'm going to give you a 12 to 1 winner in any of the race, you'd grab it. But of course, this is the Grand National. Yeah. Um, and let's pop down to number 50 secret reprieve we're still not sure whether he gets in or not but if he does it would certainly interest me at around about 16 to 1 he carries 10 stone one and of course he's trained by evan williams he's also got the the, the specter of the seven-year-old uh, hanging over his head and he's only raced six times over fences having won two of them and of course we know all about his stamina having won the welsh national on deep ground um his full brother who ran on easter monday at chetstow his three best racing post ratings have been on sort of uh, good, good to soft ground. So there's a, a possibility that he will handle these conditions if he gets a run. He's on the up. Was a little bit of a second thought by the sound of things by Adam Williams to run him mm. in this, but um, he's not out of it if he gets in. No, he needs three to come out at the 48-hour stage. We're actually doing uh, this podcast uh, on the Wednesday morning, so we'll know on Thursday at 11 o'clock-ish whether he's got in or not. Uh, and he was exceptional in the Welsh National. I don't think it was a great renewal of that Chepstow contest, but he simply cantered through the race. Again, he's not an exuberant jumper. He's quite, um, he's quite good at his fences. He's quite economical, which is what you want. I remember walking the course with Jenny Pittman many years ago, and she says, you need a popper in the National. In other words, you need a horse that gets nearly under the fences and just pops over them and takes the spruce away. And of course, I mentioned again, Tiger Roll was the perfect Grand National horse from that point of view. And Secret Reprieve does that as well. Extra yardage shouldn't be a problem. Um, and even though he's short on experience in a seven-yard, if he gets in, I think he'll, he'll start in the first three in the betting. I think he'll start a single-figure price. I believe he's available at 12 or 14 to 1 in a couple of places as we um, uh, conduct this podcast. So if he gets in, yeah, he's a player and he's one of he's one of about three or four in the race who are still thoroughly unexposed and we simply don't know how good he is. So, yeah, if he gets in, I wouldn't put anybody off him for sure. Uh, anything else that you want to mention below the top 40 other than uh, Manila Times and Secret Reprieve? No, nothing really. I think they're the two most obvious ones, to be fair. And I think when you do a podcast like this, Jonathan, I, th I think the biggest thing is that um, 
normally if I was going there and in the press room, every different press man and woman would have a different view on the race. And then every body on the race course themselves of the 60,000 would have a different view as well. And that's the beauty of the Grand National, you know. You can never be sure how a horse is going to take to the track, take to the occasion. Of course, the ambience, the atmosphere has been taken out of that somewhat. So if you've got a, a really sort of nervous horse, that won't come into play as well. But every single Grand National, there is always at least one horse who you think won't stay, won't be suited by the track, won't be suited by the ground, isn't well handicapped, that um, um, sort of confounds that situation and basically runs well above the way you think. So, you know, whatever we've said on this podcast, don't let it put you off a horse that you, for whatever reason, fancy and you think will run well at a price. Uh, because that's the way racing as a whole works, doesn't it? You know, you can have, we can have a, a panel of 10 people of jockeys, trainers, the best pundits and pundits around, and they could still not find a horse in the first four. And that, that's the Grand National for me. Yeah, what a race. It's captivated both you and I since we were kids. Uh, of, yeah. I don't know exactly the, um, the, the facts on, on your age, but we're obviously of a, a similar generation, shall we say. Yeah. And uh, we're looking forward to another cracker on Saturday, which brings us to some sort of verdict for the pair of us. So um, you might want to name a winner. You might want to just throw in your first four and you might want to tell us what your anti-post bets have been. So my anti-post bets, and I always like to be transparent on this when you, when you do a podcast, because people say, oh, you didn't tell us, you know, you're sitting on the fence. So I, as you know, cloth cap at 16 to 1, I'm going to lay him for a place on the day. I back Discarama at 66s. I back the Long Mile at 240 on one of the exchanges, which I thought was unbelievable. And I back Secret of Preve in the hope that he would get in non-runner no best at 33. And then having looked at the race again, I will back Alpha De Zobo if I can get 100 on the exchanges. I think he's the best each way bet in the race for me. So if you say to me now that the current price is uh, on Wednesday morning, what you're going to back, Alpha De Zobo is my each way pick. Um, despite my misgivings about cloth cap over the first few fences, uh, he's quite obviously chucked in at the weights. He'd be given a stone more if the handicapper knew what he did at Kelso and at Newbury. Uh, I, I think I think if he get, gets around the track, I think I can't see him out the first four, and I think he'll he'll have an involvement, Jonathan, in the finish. Far class is the most intriguing of these yet to race properly beyond three and a quarter miles. And Manella Times is so unexposed and looks a perfect Grand National type. But I can't leave them out of my four, four, even though I think at 12 to 1, I think his price is gone. I mean, if he was still a 20 to 1 shot, he would almost be my selection for the race. But at 12 to 1, just a little bit too slim for me. So Alfred Ezobo, I'm still going to back. Cloth Cap, Farclar and Manella Times would be my four. Okay, uh, and for yours truly, um, I also like Manella Times. I think you could tell when, when I introduced uh, that one, it would be a fantastic story if Rachel Blackmore could come home in front on board. Uh, also, I think Alpha Days is a cracking price, and I will be on. Uh, I'm not yet, I have to say. And in fact, I haven't had an anti post bet at all on the race. I can tell you a story about, um, about that. <laughs> Lord Dumain Hill. Um, Lord Dumain Hill. Uh, I'm a big fan of. Um, yes, yeah. I would love to see a bit more rain before the weekend, but I think he's got a cracking chance and he's a much bigger price than Cloth Cap, who also uh, is, is very hard. It's impossible, really, for me to exclude him from my top four. So Lord Dumanil, Cloth Cap, Alpha Dezobo and Ninella Times. And those thinking, Doji, you've mentioned a few others uh, on there. 
uh, certainly wouldn't put you off if you're thinking about small stakes plays on a couple of others, the likes of taking risks uh, and also give me a copper. And if Secret Reprieve gets in, I'd probably be having a little bit of something on him as well because I do think um, that he, you know, is, um, is not without a chance if he makes the cut. Yeah. So that's about 19 of them for you there. <laughs> and the other thing is, Jonathan, like, we'll, we'll read and we'll hear quotes between now, Wednesday morning and Saturday morning, and even the hours and the minutes up to the race. And our, our minds could quite easily change, you know, and, and the weather forecast and how the watering has affected the track. Um, and even for the real hard-nosed professional punters who make the living out of the game, even they are susceptible to a change of mind. Really interesting, uh, I read the column of Graham Cunningham uh, this morning on sportinglife.com, and Graham's one of the shrewdest in the trade, and he, he's really sweet on Manella Times, and you can see why. But I think he would have been sweeter on Manella Times if he'd have backed him two weeks ago at 25, 33 to 1, and um, you know, even he will change his mind and, and several really um, clever people who know the game would. And, and actually the top professional punters would probably even say to me, well, why are you even having a bet in the Grand National? Because you could have a bet at one of the shoulder meetings on Saturday and a five to one winner of a 10 runner handicap is better than backing cloth cap at four to one and a 39 runner rumble at Aintree. But we do it because we love the race. It's the people's race. And you know what? We want to be involved. Yeah. I suppose the bottom line is keep your stakes to a level where you, you can afford it and just enjoy what is one of the greatest spectacles, sporting-wise, uh, on, on God's earth during the 365 days of the year. Yeah, we want, to, we want to back the winner. I haven't had an anti-post bet on the Grand National since Lo Stragone, who I'd backed at. Something like 50s, 33s, 25s, 10s and 12s or whatever on a, on a, on a rise to being Grand National favourite was pulled out of the race 48 hours notice with equine flu in whatever year that was, trained by Thomas. Uh, yeah. I, I was just, you know, I'd effectively lumped on at various prices. I thought he had an absolutely outstanding chance of winning the race. Um, I didn't know he was going to be favourite, obviously, when I started with that uh, succession of anti-post bets, but... That was a bit of an off-putter because it wasn't any. There was no no non-runner no bet back in those days. Um, so I just I, like think to, the, I like to make sure that my horse is running now before I part with my cat. <laughs> in other words, you've chickened out, Jonathan. <laughs> I kid you. I kid you. And the other thing we haven't mentioned, of course, is as in life, especially in the Grand National, luck is a big factor. You know, cloth cap could hit first, second, or third, go down, or lose his chance. Uh, a horse could be brought down over the first few fences, despite the the width of the track uh, uh, and the better run to the first where they don't gather as much momentum as they used to when it was four and a half miles because it's a shorter run to the first fence. But you know what? Anything can happen at the first fence. You could just be unlucky and you could be unlucky on that first circuit where you have the majority of the horses hopefully still standing. So, um, And you can't do anything about the factor of luck. It's just there. It's just there. It is. Well, listen, folks, we wish you every um, possible ounce of luck on Saturday. The same to you as well, Paul. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, chatting through the 40-odd uh, runners or so for Saturday's race. Do remember, folks, because we're doing this in association with the North and Midlands Racing Club, if you could please see your way to finding their Just Giving page. Uh, and there'll be donations then going to the Injured Jockeys Fund as a result of this podcast. We hope you make a, a cracking profit from it. But whatever happens in that respect, just 
enjoy the race, enjoy the day. It is still the greatest race in the world. Uh, and we both love it, and I'm sure you do as well. So there we have it. This was the audio version of your podcast, uh, Sporting Lives Grand National 2021 Preview Podcast with Jonathan Doidge and Paul Jacobs. Uh, you'll find the video version on YouTube. Um, there are plenty more sports profiles on Sporting Lives with Jonathan Doidge, so please do subscribe, whether you're listening to the audio or watching uh, the video version of this. Uh, a couple of racing ones on there as well. Henrietta Knight uh, was a great one to record, and also Richard Pittman, which I split up into three parts. And if uh, you want to hear Richard Pittman's Grand National story, 1973, Crisp and Red Rum and all of that, then head for part two, and you'll jump straight into that. Thanks again for listening. Um, we've really enjoyed doing this for you. We hope to be back again next year. And uh, we'll also um, wish you all the very best with your bets for the Grand National on Saturday.